Well, welcome to Kicking Down Sandcastles. Are you guys excited for the next six weeks? Do some spiritual growth. Anybody out there excited about that? I am. Last two services, we've had some incredible just times as the Lord's begin to just really speak and move on so many people's lives. I'm glad that you're here joining us and I hope you'll continue with us over these next six weeks as we kind of dig into this, this uh, series and into this conversation on having a storm-ready life. As we begin real quick though, real quick, how many of you guys are homeowners? Put your hands up real high real quick. And how many of you that are homeowners still own the first home you ever owned? Keep your hand up. First home. There's only a few in every service. And uh, some of it's because, hey, you just moved into the first home you ever owned. In uh, other cases, you've had it for years. And, it's, and you know, if you've had it for years, every house is a fixer-upper. Isn't that true? And man, there's always stuff to do. There's always things to go. The only question is, was your house cursed like mine. Yeah, my first house was literally, and maybe not literally cursed, but it definitely hated me. Uh, it, it, uh, we moved in and the reason we got the house was because it fell out of escrow because a drunk man drove around the corner and destroyed the fence that was on the house. And then it got, and the guy's like, I don't want the house. They rebuilt it. We got the house that should have been a sign. I'm dead serious. It was from that point on, I'm thinking, looking at the house going, yeah, it's a bit of a fixer upper. I can do this. No, I couldn't. And so as I started fixing stuff and doing things, it seemed like every time you got something done, like I, I kind of got the entryway kind of prepared and suddenly we had a roof leak on the corner of the house. Okay, so bring my uncle out, we figure out how to get the roof leak done. Next thing we know, we've got the fence falling over in the backyard. Prop the fence up because we didn't have the money to buy a whole brand new fence. And then we turn around, next thing I know, I've got the, I've got the grass dying in my front yard. The HOA is telling me to fix that. The grass dying in the backyard. Okay, so we go to fix that. Turn around, we got another roof leak. Now it's leaking into the kitchen. And so we're examining where that's at and how is it affecting the air conditioner and what's going on there. And the air conditioner's having problems because it got chewed up by the last owner's dog. And then we're going from that situation over to the fact that my doors are not closing properly anymore. And we're trying to figure out what's wrong with that. And so we get that fixed out. Next thing I know, we're in our kitchen and my wife's pulling out the drawer and it just goes clonk. And eventually for about three months or four months or so, we have all of our utensils sitting on our kitchen counter because no drawer is still put together. And from it just was thing after thing after thing after thing. Then one day we're walking into... The, the, bed, the guest bedroom, and we're going like, Christine, what do you have in here? She was kind of, she was, uh, the person who was written in the room, and we're like, what is this smell? It was musty, and we're like, why is the ground hot? We found out it was a slab leak from the hot water pipe, and so we fixed that only for about a year later to have a slab leak in the other closet in the middle of the house. So thing after thing after thing after thing. Now, you say, that's just home ownership, Greg. That's just how life works, and I get that. But my house hated me. We finally got to the place to sell it, and so we prepped it. It was beautiful. We worked hard at it. We had all this stuff. And so it's the day we're, go, we're closing. My real, the realtor calls us. He says, okay, listen, the, the, it's funded. Uh, that means escrow's closed. Go in, go make sure everything's good before they do their final inspection. We're like, okay. So my wife and I show up, we're walking through and we kind of take a left turn around through the house. And we come through the, this galley kitchen out to the side. And suddenly my wife's like, Greg, I'm like, what? She's like, why is the wood floor squishy? And we're like, what? And we go in there and the, the water line that was attached to the refrigerator had leaked out so that half of, the, half of this beautiful wood floor had just, that had been put in by a blessing, um, it just was totally warped and broken. Um, now, my in, now, because it happened before the, before the funding occurred, it was my insurance's 
problem and the new homeowner's insurance problem. My problem, but not my house. For the next three months, I'm helping this guy fix the floor, get the thing back to where it was when he bought it. And it was a nightmare. And it was pretty much like my house going, goodbye. I don't ever want to see you again either. And we have a mutual respect for each other now. So the reason I bring that house up is because we can so often feel like not, maybe it's not your house, but maybe it's your life. Maybe that's a parable of some of our lives where you feel like every time you think something's getting moving, every time it seems like the pieces are finally clicking, finally we're seeing the the dream come true, there's another problem. There's another thing. You're finally getting momentum in your marriage and you're back in that same old fight. You're finally getting some, some energy with your kids and they've discovered something else to get lost and broken into. Maybe you find yourself in that, in that life where you're, you've just gotten some length away from that addiction only for it to creep back in and that sin to grab hold of you at a moment where you never expected it would ever return. Maybe it's just simply that you've been alone for a very long time and you're wondering, when is Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright ever going to actually show up? You know, what's going on in our culture right now is this is a common reality of going through these storms of life where things hit us, they knock us, they work us, and yet I'm seeing in the culture a disaster that's occurring. They're calling them diseases of despair, and they're showing up as an increase in drug abuse that is killing people all over the country. It's, a, it's an increase in alcohol use, the increase also in suicides. There are all of these problems that are becoming the top-ranking reasons people are dying outside of diseases. And it's because of this despair. People don't have an answer. What do I do when life is crumbling? What do I do when it doesn't seem like it's working anymore? Where do I turn? And when we ask that question, the culture's like, we have no clue. Let's watch another Amazon Prime series. And it's not working. So where do we turn? What do we do? How do we engage our lives so that when those storms come, you're not knocked over. You don't end up with a disease of despair. I want to say that we need to probably go back further and we need to go back to the word of God, to God who came to earth, Jesus himself, and what he said. And if you will, that's what we're going to look at in this series. And so we're going to start here in Matthew chapter 7. If you've got a Bible, grab it, open it. I would love for you to join with us in this section You can open your apps or whatever you you choose. But if you need a Bible, they're in the seats provided for you on page 812. You'll find this. Now, the situation in this is that Jesus just finished a sermon. It's considered his greatest sermon. They call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's really kind of like a talk on the hill. It was kind of, he was doing kind of, Uh, teachings and and pointing at things around him. In the meantime, he's not on a mountainside. He's on kind of a hillside teaching to this uh, group of disciples and a crowd. And this is his conclusion. He is leading us into the final moment of his message. And so he's going to wrap it up. He's going to tell us what we need to take from it and what we are supposed to do. And as he does this, he states in verse 24, he goes, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell, and, a, and great was the fall of it. Yes, for the next six weeks, you and I are going to have the song, the wise man built his house upon the rock, rolling through your head. If you didn't grow up in church, God bless that you won't have that song in your head. Um, maybe I'll say, it's going to be like Baby Shark, really bad. So... Um, but Jesus' point here is he goes back into a situation that was well known. In fact, for Jesus, being a technon, being a carpenter, as we would think of him, which is actually a construction worker. He didn't just work with wood. He would work on building houses and, and places with stone and different things. So Jesus had a vast set of skills as a construction worker, not just a carpenter. And there was a large city called Sepphoris that was just to, the, just to the west of his little hometown of Nazareth that was growing like crazy because a lot of the Greeks and the Romans were going in there and building. And so likely, very likely, he had been down to the shores of that area. And when you would dig and you'd put down, or sorry, when you would come down to those beaches and to put a house in that area, you needed to do something very specific. You would dig down sometimes 10 feet in the sand until you finally got to a rock. Then you would set your foundation, your footing, and then you would build the building because those winds and those storms off the Mediterranean Sea could destroy things. And like those ancient houses, Jesus is saying, you and I also can have a life that is storm ready, that when those winds come, when that pounding waves hit, when all that stuff happens, we will stand firm. And what we need to have is a firm foundation. And that foundation is actually, a of a storm-ready life, is actually the teaching of Jesus. And so that's what he does. He dives in and he tells us, listen guys, everyone then who hears these words of mine, in fact, let's say that together, just those last three words, or four words, sorry, these words of mine, one more time, these words of mine. Jesus wants you to know it's his words not your mom's and dad's advice when you were kids. Not that YouTube channel or that doctor on that television show. It's not going to come to you from some scientific journal or something like that. Those advice, those are all good insofar as they line up with Jesus. They are going to help you be storm ready when you know the words of Jesus. But here's the thing. It's not just like, hey, I got to know him. This is digging down. You've got to dig into the ground. He gives the illustration here of a man who's built his house on the rock. That means these guys worked hard digging 10 feet down to get to that rock. In the same way, we're going to have to do some hard work when it comes to really building the, these, this message of Jesus into our life. I mean, anything that we do that's good takes some work. Don't you agree? You want a good marriage? You're going to have to work hard at it. It just doesn't organically occur. You want good children? You're going to have to work hard at it. Trust me. You want to move up in the job? You're going to have to work hard. You want a great single life? Then it's going to take some work. Guys, there's nothing in this life that's good that doesn't take some work. I mean, face it, we know that because we put little kids on little league teams, right? Or little soccer teams. And they go out and they work and they work and they work and they go out to the field and they work hard, and they, we do this for that very purpose. Now, Jesus is saying, listen, guys, you're going to have to work hard. We need to get into the Word of God. The problem is, when you look at the percentages of Americans' engagement with the Bible, it has dropped dramatically. 
It's only about 20% of Americans that even engage the Bible on a significant level to where they feel like it changes their life or, or motivates them in some manner. What's really interesting is that that percentage is even less when it's people who read the Bible weekly and even less if they read it daily. And so I can almost guarantee that the vast majority of us in here probably struggle to get into the word of God daily. Maybe we do it weekly, probably in our congregation, probably weekly. Some of you guys are like, oh, maybe. But let's face it. We are definitely on our screens every day, aren't we? We're definitely intaking different movies and videos and advice from friends and news and all this stuff. We get plenty of inputs, but all those inputs are coming into your life to shape and change your life. And the question for you and for me is, hey, if it's Jesus' words that are going to make me strong, how much of this am I getting into my own life to make me strong? And so I want to challenge us over these next couple weeks. I want you in the word of God every single day for the next six weeks. It's only six weeks. We're going to keep saying that. Six weeks. And it's because, listen, you can do this. And what I want you to go is I want you to focus in on the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is three chapters. It's chapter five of Matthew, six and seven of the book of Matthew. And if you will simply just read one chapter a day, you can go through the Sermon on the Mount twice a week and then come to Sunday or Saturday and be a part of what goes on as we look at that. But it's a simple challenge to get the word of God into your life to dig in, pull it out, and put it in you. And this is the challenge that you and I would take this up and have this in our lives. Now, I also know there's something more we're going to need to do because I went to seminary. And seminary teaches you one thing. It teaches you ancient dead languages like Hebrew. Anybody else ever take Hebrew around here? Hebrew is one of these weird languages. It's got all these symbols that look radically different than our symbols. And they're also, it, they write backwards for us. They think we write backwards, but they write in the opposite direction than we read. And there are all these three little words that they then add a beginning and an ending or something in the middle. And so it changes the word in all these different ways. So it's a complex language that's difficult to pick up. But just getting the alphabet down, man, I was ready. So I jumped in, I prepped myself, and I have a way of memorizing things that helps me out. I always write a song. So I stole the Animaniacs um, theme song. Anybody remember the Animaniacs? And so I did Alphabet Gimil Dalet, Hevav Zayan Chetet, Yod Kafalamad Mimin Samak, Ayan Petasadekov, Res Sinshin Tav. I'm like, yes, I can still sing it today. Woo! Thank you. I can't write any of it. I can't read any of it because I didn't use it after seminary. All that hard work, all that digging, all that memorizing. And yeah, I can show you it and I can pick through some of it and I can use Bible programs for it, but I can't actually functionally use the Hebrew. All that work. And I didn't do anything with it. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying to us about all that work that you can get the word of God in your life. But Jesus' teaching is only helpful if we do it. He says this, he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and what does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Not just who hears it, but who does it, who actually puts it into their lives. In fact, James, his brother, um, 
must have heard, his, heard Jesus say this a lot. Now, James is an interesting character, right? He never followed his brother. He didn't believe Jesus was actually the Messiah or God. He was kind of like, yeah, 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 my brother's crazy. But he must have heard him say this stuff enough times because by the time Jesus rises from the dead and actually realizes my brother was God, my brother is the Messiah, I'm after him, starts following him, he becomes a leader in the church. And then he starts to write a letter to the church, and we have this letter in our Bibles, the book of James. And what's interesting is how much he echoes Jesus' teaching. He actually says this. He says, but to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It's one thing to hear it. It's one thing to take it in, but we got to be doers or we deceive ourselves. We lie to ourselves. I mean, put it this way. You could be a sermon input machine, listening to every great pastor and preacher and all the podcasts and diving into every nitty gritty and memorize the entire Bible and have taught theology courses and done all kinds of things. And it could be awesome. And your life still could be a mess. That's what Jesus is telling us. Memorize it, take it in, think about it, do all that stuff. But if we don't do something with it, if we don't live it out, we wind up wasting our time. We fool ourselves. We deceive ourselves. I mean, who digs a pit 10 feet down to get to a rock and then goes, that was cool, and just walks away and doesn't actually use what they did? You know who does that? Dads at the beach. That's what they do. You know what I'm talking about, dads? Your kids come up to you, you're like, will you dig us a deep hole? And you're like, okay. And you start digging and digging and digging. 30 minutes later, you got this pit and they're like, cool. And they just start filling it in. And you're like, ah. Because kids want you to dig a hole for fun. Immature are those who just want to take it in because it's easier to read the Bible than it is to do it. It's easier and it's fun to get facts about the the history and the the theology and to prove your faith is true and to get all this stuff in you. It's fun. Let's, Let's be honest. It's enjoyable when you get a good message, you get good stuff like that. But it's hard to take it and do what it says. And so Jesus emphasizes this and his brother James emphasizes we need to be doers of the word. If we're going to have a life that is storm ready, that is going to stand in all of these disasters that are on their way to us, then we need to be doing the word. Because if we hear and don't do, Jesus says simply, we're fools. We're fools. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. Notice these people heard it and they don't do it. They're like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. James, again, picks this up. Actually, I'll go back to James in a second. But what what we see here is that this is a lot like this idea of what we're talking about, building a sandcastle. Why do we call it kicking down sandcastles? The answer is because, man, if you were to build a sandcastle around you and try to live in it, it wouldn't work very long. It takes one storm and you're living, you're buried in a pile of sand. Same thing is true when you get lots of good information, you're given lots of good ways of doing things, you don't apply it to your life. I mean, we're foolish to ignore the good practices of our lives. If you have a boss who sits you down and teaches you how to sell that product and he's guaranteeing that if you'll do this technique, you will wind up selling more and you go, nah, I'm doing my way. This is a foolish thought. If you sat down with your parents and back when you were learning how to drive and everything they told you, you thought, nah, I'm going to do it different because you're over 30, you know, and you're going to go drive. That's a foolish thought. 
When we think we're the authority, when we think that we can ignore the good practices, we're asking for problems. James, again, puts it this way in a very silly manner. He says, if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. And what he's saying is, that's kind of odd for us in our culture. A mirror is very clear and you see yourself and you probably got a lot of them in your house and you even have selfie mode and photos of yourself. So there's lots of ways to see what we look like. So you all probably know what you look like. But in their world, man, you didn't see what you looked like. And you had to, you know, clean off this very big silver mirror or something that was made of metal to make it shiny enough to see your warped looking face in the thing. And then you had to look really intently to get a good idea. And then you walk away and you're like, what did I look like again? This is very much like my house in the morning before school. You know what I'm talking about? My, when I, have, I have three sons. One of them invariably comes downstairs staggering, kind of tired. Hey, Dad. Or, hi, Dad. Whatever it is. And their hair looks like pff, a rat has been jumping around in it. It's just like all over the place. They're dressed. They've eaten. They've done their chores. Their hair is a mess. What are you doing? You're not going to go to school with your hair looking like that. All right, get upstairs and go do your hair. And they go upstairs and they go into that bathroom. And I swear they're looking at themselves in that bathroom because they're in that bathroom for a while. But they come back out and the hair looks exactly the same. And I'm like, what were you doing in the bathroom? You're supposed to do your hair. Oh, I forgot. Right? Anybody been there? You have that kid too. Okay, good. I'm not alone. But guys, and I probably shouldn't be too hard on my kids because I have some pretty incriminating like uh, yearbook photos uh, that seem to show me the same way. But that is what it's like to get into the word of God, to know exactly what God's telling you to do, to know exactly how we should step into it and to walk away and go, I didn't do it. Why? I forgot. I just, I, I don't know. I just didn't do it. And that is what James is getting at here. That's what Jesus is pointing us to. And this happens, guys, this happens the most when we wind up trusting ourselves more than Jesus. I mean, I'll be honest, this is when it gets bad for me, when I think I've got this. You know, like I'm alone and I've got a, a computer open that maybe doesn't have the filtering and stuff like that. And I'm doing some search or I'm doing some information. Suddenly some image pops up that I'm like, hmm, what's that? And I stupidly click on it. It leads me in a journey that opens my lust up and breaks me down. Now I'm having to confess to elders and talk to my wife and all that kind of stuff. Or maybe and all because I thought I got it. Maybe you're standing there in that, in that situation and you know it's tense, but it's about to get hotter and more complicated. And you know you struggle with anger, but hey, it's not happened in a long time, but you got this and no, you don't got it. And now you're raging and screaming when you knew you shouldn't be. Or maybe you're sitting there and you're in that situation with that friend who's invited you out to that bar and you're sitting there and you don't drink anymore, but it's nice and cool and refreshing. And he's giving you that just enough peer pressure and you're thinking, I got this and you don't got it. We can fool ourselves. You think, because let's be honest, the foolish man built his house upon the sand. We're like, yeah, who builds on sand? We've all been to the beach. We know how sifty the sand is. And you know, if you build a little sand castle, the water comes in and it disappears. I mean, who builds on sand? Well, actually, if you had lived in the time period and, and you'd been down to the beaches in those Mediterranean, Mediterranean areas, what's interesting about some of these beaches where they would build these things is you could go there in the middle of the summertime after the heat had hit and everything had baked that ground for now a year. 
And oftentimes what you would find is it didn't feel like sand. It felt like a hard surface that's on the ground. So you could be fooled that this is a rock, but it's not. And good technons, good carpenters knew that that is going to fool you because when the wind comes and the rain starts going, it's going to liquefy and everything's going to fall over. So you dig down to the rock. And the same thing is true for us. We cannot expect that that's going to hold us, that our own ideas and our little bit of success is going to hold us. No, we got to keep leaning on the teachings of Christ by doing them. That will make your life storm ready because we need to expect the storms of loss are coming. It's one thing to assume that oh, that's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to go through that. But you're going to go through storms of loss. You are going to have a spouse or a mom or a dad or a child die. You are going to face the loss of your finances in some level. You are going to face the loss of your health. You may face the loss of your mental acuity. You may face the loss of your eyesight. You may face the loss of your voice. There's all kinds of things that you and I may face, but those storms in one way or another are going to come. And all of us are going to face at some point in our lives some kind of doubt, some kind of struggle that maybe God doesn't exist or maybe God doesn't love my children more than I do or maybe God can't carry me through this financial crisis. There's going to be those moments. And when those storms come and when those issues hit and when that knocks you down, it's going to show you what you really trust. Because one day you might find yourself in the middle of a storm and you're thinking that chocolate cake looks really, really good right now. And I need a tub of ice cream. Because I'm just going to sit and binge watch Netflix all day long because I just can't handle this anymore. You know, some of us, we're going to, it may not be that. It may be simply that it's a drug. It may be alcohol. It may be shopping on, on Amazon because you love the high of seeing lots of boxes show up at your house. <laughs> the bottom line is when a storm hits you, it's going to show you what you're trusting. And when it hits you, I hope that what you discover is that you're leaning on Jesus Christ. You're leaning on his word because you dug down to it. You put it in your life. You've been living it, doing it as best as you can. And what you find is that you're there because those storms will come. Jesus emphasizes it twice. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on the house, but it did not fall. Then the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. Notice he doesn't say the winds might come, the rain might come. No, it's, it is assumed and so Jesus preps us and he wants us to know this because when I look at this, you know what I really think of, guys, what's funny about this? I don't think of the necessarily all the storms of life. When I look at floods and rain and winds, it takes me as a, a Bible guy back to a story we all know pretty well, namely the flood of Noah. I mean, when you start thinking about floods and rain and all this stuff, you're going like, oh, that's like the judgment of the world. Exactly. You know, some of you guys may be thinking and you may never have experienced a major trial or difficulty in your life. And that's because you're either young or extremely blessed. But they're coming. And no one escapes the final, ultimate storm, which is the judgment of God, which is one day we will stand before God and we will have to explain our lives to him. What did you do with that money I gave you? What did you do with that influence as an American I gave you? 
What did you do with that opportunity in your work environment? What did you do with my son that I gave you? Because here's the thing. There is no answer that you can give to God apart from the work of Jesus Christ that will get you through that storm. There is no way to found your life on any other philosophy, on any other idea, on being good enough or nice enough or doggone these people loved me, whatever that is. There is nothing there for you to survive the day of judgment save that Jesus Christ has covered you, taken your sin away, and given you all that you need to make it through. It's his teaching. It's his word that gives us what we need for that ultimate coming storm for every human being. Now, don't deceive yourself either. Don't think all you got to do is listen to the sermon, sit around in a church, and man, you're going to be good. Jesus said it just before, in the very paragraph before he gets to the storms, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdoms of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father, he will enter. This is the idea. Now, it's not enough to sit and listen to sermons. It's not enough to come and have church attendance. It's not enough to just go to a small group or be on a ministry team. Nope, 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 nope. Read the word all you want. Do the word all you want. These guys did it. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many, many works in your name, even on TV? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Notice that last line. I never knew you. Jesus gets real personal. It's not enough to come to church to call yourself a Christian. That's like sitting in a garage and calling yourself a car. It doesn't change who you are. What changes you is the relationship. And this is key. Lest we begin to think what I'm preaching over this next series is some kind of ability for you to do some good hard works and you're ready to go in life. I don't even quite know if you can do the things that Jesus calls you to do apart from that I never knew you, Mark. See, what Jesus says, more important than just reading the word, more important than doing the word, is that you know me and I know you. It's relational. And what God has given us is this opportunity to know him through Jesus Christ, that we have a chance to talk and know he hears our prayers and connect with him in the midst of the storms. He is there with us. You see, that is when we're able to really want to be in his word, really do his word and live it out is when the relationship's good. I mean, I think about it with my wife. Oh man, when we're doing well and we've had some amazing conversations and we've been able to get out on a date and we've been able to just hang out and spend some good time, we're celebrating with our kids. Man, my wife could ask me anything. She'd be like, can you please do the dishes? I'd be like, yeah, no problem. She'd be like, can you massage my feet? Maybe. (sighs) No, but honestly... There is a truth in that, isn't there? When you're locked in with that friend, when you're locked in with that parent, that, when you're locked in with that, that, that military unit, you, they ask you to do something. You're willing to do it because of the relationship. When you have that relationship with Christ and he asks you to do it, you're going to be like, I'm on it. Let's do this. Yeah, reading the word, that makes sense. I want to hear from you. Uh, Yeah, doing what you ask, that makes sense because I know you love me and I love you and you're going to ask me to do something I'm not willing to do and that's not good for me. I'm going to do this. And that is what Jesus is getting at. 
The relationship begets this action of work in our lives so that we could connect and do what he says because only Jesus will teach us a way of living to keep us storm ready. Only Jesus is going to teach us. So you need to be in proximity of Jesus. You need to have the relationship with him. You need to have that time in prayer, that connection with him daily, that opportunity to live it out, to see what he's doing in your life, to see him answer those things. It's that connection of relationship that's critical. Lest we fall into a bunch of legalism, that's not what we're going to do. Not here to tell you, you got to do this and do that and don't do this and don't do that and you'll be good. No, that's not how this works. We've already messed all that up. We couldn't do that in the past. We're not going to do it in the future. And that's not what's being told us in the Sermon on the Mount. What we're going to hear is about a relationship with this God who's going to shape and lead us to walk in his way. Now, I want to encourage you because you can, therefore, have a storm-ready life. The diseases of despair do not have to take you down. They don't have to take your neighbors down. They don't have to take your family down. They don't have to take anybody that you know down. And there are people that you know that need to hear this. And we need to get it to them. Because God is ready to empower every human being with a storm-ready life for the storms of life and the ultimate storm in the end of life. And he is giving it away free. It's available for all. I don't know why we wouldn't do some work to get engaged with it, to really check it out, to dig in. And so what we're going to do is we're going to challenge ourselves to really dig into this. And so it starts with us reading the word, like I challenged you at the beginning. Be in the word every day for the next six weeks and use the Sermon on the Mount. It's a great, you'll, you'll dig in and dig in and dig in. You will not get done. We're not going to preach everything in that, in that Sermon on the Mount. We're not going to get to every single piece. It's just not possible. There's so much information in there and so powerfully deep and it connects to so many aspects of the Bible. But you guys are reading it and studying it and digging in. And then we're going to be able to, and I'm asking you guys, make it to the services. Six weeks, six weeks, six Sundays or six Saturdays. It's just six. And it's just an opportunity to go, you can't make six weeks? Now, some of your schedules, I get it. You actually have to work on the weekend. Well, let's catch up on the podcast. Be a part of us with the, with the Facebook feed. But these are opportunities for you. But hey, if you can make it for six weeks in a row, make a commitment for six weeks. I mean, come on. I'll even offer you 0% financing on those six weeks if that'll get you in the door, Okay. But think about it. We give ourselves all kinds of weird offers. We're like, that sounds good. That's six weeks for your spiritual development out of a year. That's not even six weeks. It's six Sundays. It's not even six Sundays. It's six 45 minutes of sermons and 15 minutes of worship, maybe an hour and 15 on a Sunday with some driving. (laughs) And maybe a little preparation with the kids, right? So, okay. In comparison to the world of information we're gathering from the world around us. Six weeks. And then if I could pull a pastor card and be like, you know, authoritarian, I would do it. But that's not how we work as Americans. So I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you. Get into a small group and apply the message. Small group is not just the place you're going to dig deeper and deeper and deeper. It's not where you're going to go sit on a couch and somebody's going to say, well, what do you feel this way about yourself? I just, I was in elementary school and this guy was picking. No, 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 no. We want you to dig into the message, take the stuff you've been reading and walk into that small group and answer some questions to get to what am I going to do with it? What am I going to do with it? And then somebody's going to hold you accountable. That's where this final piece comes in. 
It's the cling. Doesn't that sound like some 1950s monster that's going to come out and grab us? The cling. It's actually inside this handout. I want you to grab this if you grabbed it. If you didn't, they're available outside. Don't leave without one. And it's a cling, literally a piece of cling that can go on your... It, so far, we found it works on... The only thing it doesn't work on is like computer screens, but that would be weird. It can fit on your car. It can go on your car windshield. It can go on your refrigerator. It can go on any kind of sticky, smooth surface because it'll stick. But what you're going to do is you're going to have this with you. And when you come to the conclusion what God is leading you to do, we have some stations or wherever you're at, you'll take a marker... And you're going to write what you're going to do. And then here's, you're not going to leave it at that. You're going to put that somewhere where you can see it. It's going to remind you, this is what I, God's told me to do in this series. I'm going to work on this because we're going to be doers of the word, not simply hearers of the words. We don't want to be fools. We want to be wise. Amen? And so we're going to take that, and then you're going to do something else. You're going to take a photo of it with your phone, if you've got that ability, and you're going to send it to one of your small group members or your accountability partner as a way of publishing what you intend to do. What good is it to say you're going to do something if it's only you doing it? You're like, well, I'll keep myself accountable. We know that doesn't work. It doesn't work at work. It doesn't work in life. And so we want you guys to have a small group that you can do this in and use these clings and things like that. And there's plenty of them. You may be like, I can't erase my cling. What do I do? Come get another one. We've got lots of them. And we'll order more if we run out. But we want you to have this ready so you can build into your life the word of God and be storm ready. Because you never know how big that storm is going to be. I still remember in my office, I was a young pastor in my early 30s. And um, this man who had been pretty involved in our church came into my office, and I, I think it had been a couple days or so, but I'm still not sure, but his eyes were massively puffy. He's bawling his head off. And through the sobs and all of the stuff, we, he began to get out. She's dead. She's dead. I'm like, what is going on? Throughout the conversation, come to find out that his daughter had committed suicide in his office. In his house. And he had found her. Now you'd think that that would just ruin a person. Yet this guy was so storm ready. Through all of the hurt and the pain and the crying and the stuff and taking in that information, doing the best as I could as a young pastor to figure out what do you do with the worst case scenario like this, I ended up just coming down to this one question. I'm like, how are you doing with the Lord? And he said, oh, he's wrecked us, but he's holding us up. That's a storm-ready life. That God may put a situation that wrecks you, but it showed him what he was holding to. He had nothing but the Lord. Guys, I don't know what is going to hold you up in the storms you may face. But I pray you can say in the middle of it, he's holding me up because you have that relationship. You know that word. And you've been putting it in your life. That's what I want for you and me all of us in the city, and at least for us at Olive Branch, through these next six weeks, let's build a storm-ready life. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for what you've given to us and you supplied to us in the word. And Jesus, 
We want to know your word. We want to dig down into that word. We want to have it in our lives. So help us to do it. And we know the way to do that is because we know you and you know us. That we have this relationship with you, this opportunity to talk to you, to be with you. So that when that storm comes, Jesus, you'll be holding us up. Only you, only you have the words of eternal life. We want to stand firm with those words of eternal life. So please, Lord, please help us to walk in your word that we may be storm ready. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.